I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are talking about imposter syndrome. If you would like to suggest an upcoming topic, send us a compliment, ask a question, or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at BreakingOutPod or via email BreakingOutOfBreakingInPod at gmail.com. So, Christina, imposter syndrome. (laughs) You know, it's interesting because when we first talked about doing this episode, I was kind of like, do I have imposter syndrome? And I I realized that I do, but I think similarly to you, really not related to my work, more related to just me as a human. And that that I think is is an interesting distinction. Can you speak to that distinction? Like what what does that distinction mean to you? Yeah, so I I get very uncomfortable with people complimenting me or like taking pride in myself <laughs> or or considering myself like an example of something or an expert at something sure. but when when I when I think about my work I'm like really proud of it and I want people to see it and I'm I have no um issues when people compliment it I like I love that I love I honestly I think we're similar we love praise of the work itself Uh, but when people try and give me praise I get really uncomfortable so do you have a like suspicion of like why that is about yourself because I spent a lot of time in therapy talking about this (laughs) yeah I mean uh, so there's there's a lot to unpack I would say (laughs) I, well, this is the unpacking episode, right, I would say. Right, right. I think, you know, like I said, I grew up with a single mom. So I saw her working. Like, she worked so much my whole life. She had a full-time job as an office manager for most of my childhood and then uh, had part-time jobs in retail and as a server and other things. And I didn't see her. So part of it was, like, what I saw. She she didn't even have the the energy or space to uh like be proud of herself as anything but a worker you know so there was that example and that like working is your value like your ability to earn is your value that's just like that was sort of uh, instilled in me and then there's also probably a lot of like my father was an abusive alcoholic, so I didn't necessarily want him in my life. But the fact that he chose not to be in my life, there's that. Um, and just a lot of, like, we're going to talk about this in the next episode, but being mixed and not feeling like there was a place for me, being very othered, all of those things psychologically kind of made me question my value as a human, right? In, in a lot of totally. different ways. Yeah, I think it's probably a similar experience from a lot of people who do not exist within the like straight cisgendered male category. Um, and not to say that those people don't. My my partner, before we started recording this episode, I was like, we're talking about imposter syndrome. You have anything to say? Uh, and he's uh, white, cisgendered, straight. And he was like, 
I'm sure there's someone who can who has uh, more experience who can speak to it as like a joke. And I was like, that's a very that's a very funny joke, sweetheart. But he also definitely has imposter syndrome. I think everybody does. But I think especially mm-hmm. people in marginalized identities, because we don't see ourselves in a lot of places. So when we're like the first or one of the few, we feel like we better be spectacular. And most people who live in marginalized identities don't grow up being told they're spectacular or not that often and so it's hard to see yourself as spectacular right but i also wonder how much humanity anyone in humanity like truly does think like i am the cat's meow like (laughs) i am the best because like i've lived inside my own brain for a long time and i know all the nonsense i'm doing nobody should take me seriously ever (laughs) yeah i mean i'm there are definitely like narcissists and, and sure, people sure, who, sure, sure. who are really who are really fond of themselves and I think are like president is an example of someone who probably thinks he is the best at everything that there is anyway so something else I was going to say is it's one thing you just said you know if you're not hearing people tell you you're spectacular I would say that my mom definitely instilled confidence in me but that doesn't it's one thing to hear it. Like my whole family was like, you're, you're beautiful and you're, you're, you're so smart and whatever and you're capable of anything. But what I was seeing on TV is like, there's no one that looks like me. <laughs> there's no one that, mm-hmm. that's not the definition of beauty. Um, everyone who, who, like everyone in my school has a crush on is white and blonde. And sure. all the love interests on the TV shows I watch are Katie Holmes and like <laughs> there there is no me uh that i may see myself in like the braininess of these characters or whatever but I, i'm not getting that validation even though you're telling me it and so that disconnect is definitely a factor too yeah and also just because you know the process that it took to get to whatever the thing is that you've done that people are praising it's like well, I know that I that was mostly an accident. Like, thanks, I guess. But I I have been alongside me the whole time. And I know that I can't, this can't possibly be special. Mm-hmm. I can't possibly be special or, or you know, worthy of anything else. Right. Like, I feel like I'm doing the bare minimum. I think there's a lot of that. Like, something I wanted to bring up at the very beginning, Christina, is that this podcast for me, I had really big imposter syndrome about, not because I didn't think I could give decent advice as filmmakers, but because until you said, hey, we should start a podcast together, I was like, does Christina see me as a friend or a coworker that she's just sort of like allowed to talk to her every once in a while? Like genuinely, because we met because I watched you speak at an event and then we were kind of professionally circling each other for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you got me hired, but we didn't really know each other when you helped me get hired at Seed and Spark. And then we were working together, but I work with plenty of people who like probably wouldn't ask me to start a podcast. If anyone else has worked with me and wants to start a podcast, let me know because I'm f- full blown addicted at this point so like let's do it but like genuinely i i wasn't sure at any point even though like we had we talked about all sorts of stuff we've like traveled together and had uh, for work things and like had very in-depth personal conversations and like we talk all the time at work but i was like Christina's like my boss who's like being nice to me because I'm an underling (laughs) and literally was not until you asked me to start this podcast with you that i was like Maybe we're friends. Oh my god! Well, that was like literally. I like see. I I see what you're saying, but in my mind, there was a clear transition. But see, that's the thing is that, like, from my perspective, I'm always like 
you know, a little bit behind you. And and I think that that's a lot of imposter syndrome comes from we are so intimately familiar with our own journey that sometimes it's hard to see someone else's journey. But also, especially if you're like trying to be a good person. And like, I think a lot of people who don't have imposter syndrome just like don't care about being a good person. Mm -hmm. So that's its own unpacking. Mm -hmm. But like, I would like to be a good person. I would like to be seen as a good person. And so it's generally not allowed for a good person to think so highly of themselves and to be publicly about that so it's it's always a conversation with myself when I'm trying to decide like do I think I would be perfect for this job or this relationship or whatever because I'm I have a you know inflated sense of grandeur or is it because I like actually deserve it right that's the thing that I'm like constantly ping-ponging back and forth with is this idea of like I'm good enough you should give me this opportunity. You should consider me like, like, damn the man. Like, I'm going to knock shit down and I'm going to, you know. But then when, like, someone praises me for those things or tells me that I am, I am like, but I'm not. Like, I'm not doing enough. I Don't give me that praise because I'm not doing everything I can be doing. I'm, I'm doing the bare minimum mm-hmm. or I'm, I have so much more I should be doing. And that is just the constant within, within myself. And, yeah. So when thinking about breaking out of that, like, are there moments where you have like an imposter syndrome spiral? Like what pulls you out of that? Yeah, I, I try to acknowledge the feelings. Um, I tend to have an internal dialogue with myself. Like I was reading an article that came out last year that not everyone has an inner monologue that some I saw that too yeah can't relate (laughs) can't relate at all and I I showed it to my husband Justin and he was like I don't I don't under this doesn't compute like I don't these people are just not real (laughs) like he couldn't accept that because we're both very like we overthink things we we extensively process things um and so so for me I feel like I sort of have a conversation with myself that's usually where I end up going in my head. Um, and I just acknowledge kind of intellectually what I'm feeling. Like acknowledge that this is this is a spiral that's happening because of imposter syndrome and let's like identify these things because now I can sort of remove myself a little bit from the feelings and work through them. Yeah, I think that something else is that it can be hard to, I think the most terrifying thing for me about imposter syndrome, especially when it does relate to my work, is I cannot imagine a worse feeling than thinking that I've done something really good and like really being proud of it and realizing it's actually not good. Mm -hmm. And that's, and I want to be clear, that's different from somebody not liking it. There's plenty of people that don't like my work. Like I get rude YouTube comments all the time. Like that's not what I'm saying. But it's from people I respect and from the like, the the I if I did something and then it became very clear that it was objectively not good but that I was really proud of it and thought it was good like that is I think what imposter syndrome is attempting to protect me from and I don't think that imposter syndrome is the the way to do it but that's I think that's for me it's the fear of what if I'm actually not as good as I think I am yes (laughs) if I can also sometimes I put that on other people like and and I don't think that's necessarily healthy, but just an example when you brought that up that came to mind. There's the can or can't, however you want to say the festival in France. Yeah, I never know. Uh, Canis. I say Canis, you know, to <laughs> yes. let everybody know where I'm coming from. 
um, there's their like the shorts corner festival, right? And that is just a market that accepts every single film that submits. There's their actual shorts competition, but then there's the the shorts corner. And I see people all the time post laurels and they're so proud that they got into this festival. And I get like angry with them (laughs) for not knowing better. And part of it is because of the like shame that I would feel if I were them being proud of that and then finding out that it doesn't actually mean anything. And it's not really like an honor about me and my work. And I often have to like check myself when I'm putting that on other people internally. But it can also be really damaging to like need a full list of like awards before you're like, okay, maybe I'm okay at this. Because that's also not valuable. No, not at all. Like needing external validation. Because it's all just like based on bias and the, you know, what what happens to be in the pool of that particular year or, or you know, quarter or whatever. Um, yeah. It's so not objective. There's nothing objective mm-hmm. about it. Well, because everything is in context of something else. Like, we'll have a whole episode about film festivals, but something I've noticed in the festivals that I've helped program is that sometimes the decision between one sh- film and another is not which is better, it's, like, which fits, or these are too similar, so mm-hmm. we have to pick on, like, some other, like, because it, nothing exists in a vacuum. You can't accept a film in a vacuum. Right. You also have to accept it in context of everything else, and if you're trying to be representative yeah. or, you know, you're trying to show a diverse series of perspectives, like, something might be very good and very cool but it's a perspective we've seen before, you know, or something like that, yeah. or, or we happen or to just, have another thing. Or it just doesn't fit with the theme, or, like, there's just yes. no place for it because the emotional journey they're trying to take people on through a block is just, there's nowhere that that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, reminding yourself that awards are so rarely about you. Yeah. and even, But, like, that doesn't mean you can't be excited about them. Like, Christina, you were recently <laughs> uh, one of the top five directors nominated from, like, 100 film directors. Yeah, for the Horrible Imaginings Film Festival, which is a really wonderful festival. It's run by such uh, an amazing team of people, specifically Miguel Rodriguez. Um, they Like, what I love about them is that they look at horror as a lens to explore anxieties about the real world and so they do program a lot of political stuff and they very specifically try to have it as inclusive of uh, a lineup as possible across the board and it's a great example that you are not sacrificing quality or merit in order to do that it's always a really amazing program that said when i submitted my first year i didn't know how uh how like amazing the program was so I was like oh cool I got into this festival they had never heard of me I had never really heard of them but I had heard people say that they got good local attendance then the next year I submitted again got in again and uh, attended saw the programming saw who I was like on that stage with and then had so much anxiety about ever submitting to this festival ever again. <laughs> like, because that now... you've literally been accepted to twice. Yes, yeah. So I didn't submit the next year because I didn't think the film I made was good enough. Also, I just felt like it was, it was a thriller, so it like wasn't quite in the realm. But then last year I submitted, they only accepted 6% of titles. And I did attend and it was amazing. 
Um, but then the like insecurity kicks in where it's like, am I only getting in now because they know me and like me, <laughs> you know? And like, there's that. And it's just like, there, maybe it's both things, you know, maybe like, you just don't know who knows. But this year I watched the entire program because the virtual space made that possible. Um, and I watched a hundred shorts. Some were so phenomenal. Obviously a lot of them had bigger budgets, so it's hard to like remove my insecurity from that because part of my like, oh, I don't deserve this directing nomination is because we made, you know, we made a a short on $2,000 and like made our own sound mix and there were like flaws and stuff. But then you look at like a $30,000 short that I screened with and it's like, well, that's a better director, right? Because they had more polish and those are the things that I I was feeling insecure about. But even then, like, yeah, we were, it was six nominations out of a hundred. Um, and then I ended up being the runner up and like in all of those things, I just had such like, it's such a thing because I share it on social media, like this is a win and I'm so proud and I'm so honored when behind the scenes, I'm having just hesitation about even telling anyone because I'm like, they're going to know <laughs> that I didn't really deserve this for whatever reason. And if like Miguel were listening to this, he would, you know, like, probably hug me first then because he's a <laughs> hugger and he's really sweet. But then he would be like, you're being really ridiculous and you made an amazing film and whatever. But um, yeah, it's, it's a constant thing because I don't get nominated for director all that often. I have a few times my first feature, which we're definitely going to talk about in some episode when we talk about first projects. I won a best director award for that from one festival and was just like shocked and also also really proud. But like looking back on that, I'm kind of like, why? Like who award, who thought I was a good director? Then? <laughs> like that's so it's just a constant uh, feeling of not being good enough but I also think that that keeps me getting better I would hate to be at a point where I actually think I'm good enough because at no point in my career have I ever been the best director that I can be and I'm still not that and like that kind of uh hesitation and discomfort I think keeps me striving to just keep being better and doing better I mean I'm I'm sure there's got to be a healthier way to like (laughs) improve instead of just like I am trash I must endeavor to be less trash I will say something that was helpful for me I did when I was a kid and that I've gotten back into is when like I noticed a major shift in my like self-esteem when like the jokes that I tell about myself were more like outrageously positive because like when you're like the funny kid, cause I was the funny kid. Like I was smart, but like everyone hated that about me. So I was like, cool, I gotta get a new personality. So my new personality was, I was kind of like mean and like funny. And when you're mean and funny, but you're also a very strange looking person, the easiest way to get laughs is to be self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. Um, self-deprecating humor is the easiest thing in the world because everyone kind of secretly hates themselves when they're in middle school. Like every middle yep. schooler hates themselves and like middle schoolers are the worst people in the world, but also they're going through a lot. So maybe be nice to them, everyone. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when I was growing up, like all of the jokes were like, oh, I know I'm so stupid, but can you help me with it? You know, something like that. And I made a conscious switch towards like the middle of college, I would say, where I started 
doing the opposite. Because, like, the joke of self-deprecation is, like, you're fishing for a compliment. You're, like, fishing for someone to say, no, you're not stupid. You're not ugly. Um, And so when you do the opposite, it goes, well, so I'm a genius, but I can't (laughs) figure this out. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. And even that, like, it's still outrageous, but it's outrageous in a positive way. And I notice, like, a dramatic change in my mental health when I started doing that. Because then every conversation I was having with other people about myself, anytime I talked about myself, I was saying nice things. Things. And they were outrageous and I could still be funny and strange, but I, it was nice to hear those nice things. And so sometimes now when like people ask me how something went, like Quinn, every day that I teach a workshop, because I teach a lot of workshops for work, you know, I'll sometimes teach three or four things or do like several events in a week. And each after each one, you know, I'll go out into the living room and my partner will be like, hey, how'd it go? And like, it's the same event that I've done 80 times. So there's nothing really new to say. And I appreciate that he asked. And so I've been trying to say, well, really well, because I'm really good at my job. And mm-hmm. like reminding myself that helps me when I get into places where I'm like, today, I feel like I've done absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. I've done nothing. I am worthless. And then I can't even let myself relax because that's how my imposter syndrome likes to like punish me mm-hmm. is if it decides that I have not done enough. Yeah. And it's like, so you need to work for six more hours and then still feel bad. But eventually we will have to pass out because biology demands that we sleep. Right. And that's just like, I you might notice a cough every once in a while, listeners, if I try to talk through it because I'm an amateur. <laughs> uh, it's it, it might be coronavirus. I'll know tomorrow. Or it could be the thing I always do to myself, which is that I literally make myself ill because I am so rude to my body that I my immune system just like shuts down it's like oh okay bitch this is the game we're gonna play Mm -hmm. we're done then we're not gonna help you at all and you're gonna have a cough for three months and that's that's I think what is happening to me right now and even as I'm like saying you know it's like a do as I say not as I do because I I I love punishing myself Mm -hmm. because at least that I feel in control of yeah and that's so fucked up yeah I mean When I think about that, I definitely am like not a good listener to my own advice a lot Mm -hmm. of the time, especially when people ask me about like, you know, how to just like go after things. Um, I'm really good at telling people what I should be telling myself, I think. I'm just not very good at hearing it. Um, And especially when it comes to working, like I never think that I'm doing enough. And part of that is that I really do love, it's so, I was, you know, there's on social media, there's a lot of um, food for thought circulating around right now, especially about productivity and like where you find value. And I'm just like, I don't think I can find any value if I remove my work ethic and Mm -hmm. like my work in general from it I don't I don't know like and that's something that I'm really grappling with right now and like trying to process I guess because I do love feeling a sense of accomplishment off of like making a thing or finishing a thing or putting a thing out there but trying to also like make sure that that's not the only place I'm getting validation and that I can like feel competent without just like constantly moving and constantly producing that's that's something i'm struggling with yeah i don't know how to uh, detach ambition from productivity yes because like 
someone that I find endlessly fascinating is my fiance. He is this person who is very ambitious, but has no interest in productivity. And what I mean is like he would love to be like a published author. Like he might like to teach at the college level, but like if he had his way, he would have, he would just get to write novels for his career. So that's a very ambitious goal. And he writes really frequently. He still meets with his writers group uh, from college. They just had their eight year anniversary as a writers group last weekend, which is very sweet. They're all in different states now, but every two weeks like clockwork, they meet up and they work on it. And he's always writing and he's always submitting to, you know, literary magazines and things like that. Like he's always working but not like he doesn't do sprints like if he feels like writing that day or he's like I should write today he'll do it mm-hmm. and then he'll just be done and he'll go do a hobby mm-hmm. or he'll like fall asleep on the couch in the middle of the day and I'll come in I'm like what the hell are you doing it's <laughs> middle of Saturday and he's like I don't know I felt like sleeping because he's somebody who he doesn't feel a need to like I haven't done enough mm-hmm. he's like if he is done He's just done. He doesn't overthink it. Mm-hmm. He goes and he paints a, a miniature D&D character and he'll just do that for six hours and then he'll be done. And then he'll go like and he he is someone who is just so relaxed at where he is because his priority is just I want to be doing what makes me happy. Sometimes writing makes me happy. Sometimes painting or playing a video game or taking a nap or bothering my partner. Those are things that make me happy. I'm just going to do that. That's my priority. If I never get to be a published author, that's a bummer. But I've written a lot of cool things and I've gotten some of them published and I enjoyed writing things and talking to my friends about the things that I wrote. And that's, that's enough for him. And I cannot relate. Mm -hmm. I cannot, I do not understand how he can be as ambitious as he is and also not care at all about the end goal. Yeah. Me, I mean, I didn't mean either. (laughs) Like what? I would say that my, my spouse, um, he's different. Well, he's, he's, we're similar, very similar, actually, uh, which I don't think helps me (laughs) with this (laughs) issue. Um, Sometimes I will, like, sometimes I will attack his, like, overworking, and then it's just like, what are you doing? (laughs) You you should be talking to yourself right now. Um, We're both very goal-oriented people, and we're both very ambitious and very much like, we need a plan. He has a hard time turning off he has a hard time not having a goal and like really pursuing it um not to say that that's a bad thing but he he also definitely has some imposter syndrome as well and uh I think we both struggle especially because we've both been working from home and like haven't left our apartment in like seven months because of the pandemic we have a lot more time to just like be and I've been taking note of how often our time together is us working, like working next to each other, you know, even after sure. work hours and trying to just like change that. But also that's something we both find fulfillment in and like satisfaction from. And uh, but to sort of like Quinn, the way that he lives in the world, I've been trying to incorporate some hobbies more and so like we pl- we stop and we play scrabble or you know <laughs> do so something your, your hobbies are games what what, what yeah. other hobbies do you have yeah mostly games i like to do uh on, on my own if i'm doing something on my own i will do sudoku that's kind of a go-to i like numbers um he and i lately have been doing crossword puzzles together though we hit we hit Friday and just couldn't do any more because we're not smart enough. Um. <laughs> yeah, my thing with crosswords is that like you can't power through it. Like you just have to know a bunch of stuff. Yeah, 
and like like Sudoku, I've always liked as well. I I get too distracted from it. I can't spend too much time on it. But at least I know all I need exists here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like. I just need to be patient and I can figure it out. But yeah, with crossword puzzles, like just having random knowledge, I can't. Yeah. I have a hard time doing one thing at a time. And so yes, late at we night. We share that. Yes. <laughs> so late at night when I'm like, it's like my downtime and I'm supposed to just be like unwinding before bed, I will be watching something, but also have my laptop open and I'm like looking at my calendar. I'm like planning certain things. I'm looking at deadlines for stuff. I'm mm-hmm. like making next month's newsletter, even though last this month's just went out yesterday, like things that I don't have to be doing, but I'm doing them. And so I've been trying to replace that with like doing Sudoku. So I'm watching something and I'm doing another thing, but I'm not necessarily working, you know? Yeah, my my thing is um, like those shitty mobile games where it's like part puzzle game, part like home renovation. (laughs) I have two of those and then I have like a dragon matching one. That's a whole separate issue. But like I, I play many of those like home decor puzzle games and I have officially opinions on which ones I think are the best written <laughs> like the best written mobile home renovation puzzle games it's Lily's Garden for the record they have wild ads but the actual game and writing is genuinely really good like there was a plot line that I teared up at because like two of the female characters like started as maybe being in competition and then realized wait why are like women shouldn't compete against each other we you like me right I like you too why are we doing this let's just be best friends and like <laughs> it was you know more nuanced than that a little bit but like some of the storytelling in this stupid mobile game is like really compelling so i've had to actually stop playing it while i watch tv because then i'm like actually reading the dialogue because some of uh-huh. these stupid games like you can play the puzzle game and then you just like anytime you read renovate part of the house like there's usually some kind of character dialogue but usually it's just like garbage like a pun or something i'm like i don't care about this but lily's garden i'm like into (laughs) that's like my media um but yeah no i also have a very hard time doing one thing at a time because i feel like i'm not maximizing my efficiency Mm -hmm. and there's so much that i want to do you know like the, I don't want to be that person, but like the song nonstop by, from Hamilton yeah. is like, oh boy, that cuts me to the core. Yeah. Like I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find, I, I mean, sometimes I, I plan my day or my schedule around just like windows of time where I can be doing multiple things, like get multiple things done. So I'm just like mm-hmm. constantly maximizing And if I'm not doing that, it's like not enough, right? Yeah. And then what does not enough even mean to us though, right? Like we're both accomplished women. We're both, you know, done well in our careers to a certain extent. We've made work that we're really proud of and that we've been recognized for and we've built audiences for. Yeah. Have we not proved ourselves? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I also want to go back to the like directing thing. Another thing that I think why I have such imposter syndrome about that is because like you can't quantify what amount of it was my skill versus everyone else you know and I think Mm -hmm. that's important because that's directing like part of directing is just like getting the right people for all of the things right Mm -hmm. um choosing the right people recognizing the talent but I don't want to take credit for that and so I also feel like when I get a best directing it's like okay but 
that actor is just really amazing and would have been amazing even without me. And that, like, you know, lighting was really the DP's idea or the gaffer's idea. And, like, I made a decision, but, like, you know, and so those are things that also, because I can't, I can't quantify it as, like, a percentage of this was really me, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It it always does feel weird. I've gotten screenplay awards. I've never gotten a directing award because I just haven't directed as much. Um, Screenplays feel good because it's like, yeah, that's me. Mm -hmm. That's me. And, like, that's – writing is the one thing in my life that I never second guess. Mm Mm-hmm. I have, like, I mean, I have two writing degrees. I have been writing since I was five years old. It is the one place in my life where I'm like, even if it's not good yet, I know there's good stuff about this. Like, when I write something, I have a pretty good intuitive sense of, like, this is going to be good. And, like, that doesn't mean that I don't edit. I certainly edit a lot. There's plenty of stuff in the first drafts of my shit that's garbage. But there's always something there that I'm like, this is good. Mm -hmm. And where imposter syndrome starts to come in is, like... But is it good enough to make a living off of? Right. And that I don't know how to answer because there isn't an answer to that. And that's terrifying. Like, am I good? But does it even matter? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's the hard thing, too, is like, because not everyone who makes it, who breaks <clears throat> in, right, is is objectively the best or better. It's there's so many circumstances at play, so many factors sometimes it is about timing sometimes it is about who you know often it's a combination and so it's hard to like have confidence that you're good enough because also you're not seeing who else who else is like out there writing and trying to (laughs) and I'm sure there I'm sure there are at least some people who can make what I make the way that I make them maybe you know like there's got to be because there's so many people in the world and you know whatever so being an artist is so hard I think because you have to have this unshakable confidence in your ability and your right to pursue it that's a great way to put it because if you don't have that you'll never you'll never stick it out but Mm. on the other side of it you also have to be so willing to admit that you're shit (laughs) because (laughs) because like when you're just starting out you are going to be and like you're learning and you're gonna make mistakes and you have to be like willing to admit that you made those mistakes and try and grow and do better that's the only way you'll actually be good enough and actually earn your right and so it's like I it is such a weird thing to balance in yourself to like feel that like I have a purpose and it and I have the right to pursue it and I am better like I am better than than so many of the other people also pursuing it because if I'm not then like how how could I possibly have the right to be pursuing it if I'm not better but at the same time acknowledging that you're not like you're not the best and that you're not your best and that you still have so much work to do and like if I think about if I had made it like if I had broken in uh, Mm -hmm. five years ago off of the stuff I was making then it's like ew you know like what (laughs) like what right did I have 
then for anyone to recognize my talent because I'm so much better now and maybe I'll be saying the same thing about who I am right now as a filmmaker and as an artist in 10 years or whatever um but I have to believe that I deserve it right now because that's totally. like will keep me pushing for it and and trying for it and so that like that constant back and forth can be uh, can drive you crazy you know <laughs> it's it's yeah yeah I also used to have a lot of imposter syndrome and I still do to a certain extent about like the types of things that I make. So like even when I was a kid, like what you read in like lit classes or like the movies that you watch in film intros and stuff, it's like these really big sweeping things about humanity and identity and like the things that get a lot of attention, especially in like writing classes are like the really overly poetic, really literary, like, you know, uh, symbolism thick things and that was never something that was interesting to me and like sometimes I didn't even get it like I I'm a smart person I can own the fact that I am an intelligent person I was gifted and talented as a child you know I I feel like I'm with it but sometimes like when something when subtext gets too thick like I'm like I don't I don't get it. Is there a superhero or a vampire or what's happening here? Like, <laughs> yeah. give it to me a little bit stupider. Like, act <laughs> like I'm much stupider than I actually am. But, like, also from a creative perspective, like, I used to, like, my first things that I wrote were really, like, dark and, like, torture heavy because that's how you have emotions is you're really, like, traumatic things are happening to everyone and everyone is so sad all the time. And I was like, well, now I'm sad all the time and this sucks. Mm-hmm. And I don't actually like writing this. What I like writing are, like, adventure stories and stories with lots of jokes in them and stories about friendships and romantic relationships. And for a long time, I felt really shitty about that. And then two sort of things for me broke through. So the first was uh, in my intro to fiction class in college, it was one of my favorite classes because I finally got to write fiction, not just read other people. I got finally got to write. And I, at the time, was writing a, um, a what was a story and has since gone into script. Uh, it was called Super. And it was about the perspective of uh, the roommate of three superheroes who is just like a normal person and is so annoyed with them. And if you know anything about my writing, that sounds exactly like a Brie Castellini <laughs> joint, mm-hmm. is a person who is super unimpressed with all of the like supernatural bullshit around her. And I was having a lot of fun because that's exactly my niche. You know, I like taking fantastical things and not giving a shit about them. Like that's my favorite genre of whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I was like every week we would all come in and we would read an excerpt from like what we had been working on and so some people would like have a continuing story some people would have like a new short story each week and I had like a new chapter of this stupid superhero story and so like we'd go around and like somebody would say something really like personal and poetic and everybody was like oh wow your turns of phrases are so impressive and like it was really great and like every time it got to me I felt so uncomfortable with like so the strong guy broke the table again. And like, <laughs> that was the theme of that week. But then somebody in the class, like I mentioned this to somebody in my class and they were like, Bree, do you not understand that like we are all constantly waiting for what happens next in your story because you're the only person doing anything funny. And it's like, like the only thing that we really look forward to. He's like, we like other people's stuff, but like yours is the one that we're like looking forward to. And I was like, really? <laughs> He's like, yes, because it's different. Yeah. Like we don't want to hear, an, like if, especially if it's not natural to you, like don't write other stuff. And then that combined with the chapter in On Writing by Stephen King, which I am starting to reread as I prepped for this episode. Cause I was like, oh yeah, I love that book. There's a section in his book 
book where he talks about like his childhood and about how like his um his have you read on writing no it's very I, I highly recommend it it's definitely very interesting and you know he's in the horror scene mm-hmm. um and all of that kind of stuff I think you would it would appeal to you on a lot of levels but there's a chapter where he talks about like when he was a kid and like when he was first starting to develop his like style and interests a teacher told him something to the extent of like you know this isn't real literature like you're not a real writer if you're writing like horror and monster stories like this is trash mm-hmm. and him unlearning like but I love this stuff. I love reading it and watching it. Like, yeah. if I like it, I'm sure other people will like it. So who cares what you think? And it was sort of like unlearning, like the sort of disrespect of genre work. Yeah. And that was that really spoke to me because I was like, yeah, you're right. Why should I feel bad? Because this is also what I consume. Like, I can yeah. still be a positive member of the artistic community and still like do interesting things and explore themes that haven't been explored and still have like the core of fun which is why I like to tell stories yeah I would definitely relate to that and I'm definitely going to read that because I would say especially in film things are changing uh recently I would say you know get out kind of created a a little bit of a shift in the general public and especially in the film community but it still very much exists in like uh highbrow sort of prestige spaces like anything mm-hmm. and film festivals that are like you know the the like independent film scene um where, sure. where horror is just like looked down on you know it's like not real art it's not real filmmaking it's just trash and I definitely when I was early on when I would say that I I want to make horror or I do make horror people would be like well first being a woman who makes it they're just like well that's weird you know and it's like why I mean I I have uh, being a woman is very horrific for anyone who (laughs) you know (laughs) and so um and I have something to say to that in a second but I had to get comfortable admitting that I early on Mm -hmm. I found myself saying like oh well I do do drama too you know like I (laughs) I would try and fit in more into like the perfect box of what what an artist is and then right exactly and then I just started to embrace it and be like this is what I make because it's what I love and there's obviously it's connecting and and part of that was like getting into more genre festivals and starting to build community there and starting to see that like there is room for what I'm making and then of course there's there's the bigger kind of um bigger respect that the genre has gotten because of get out and because of you know it like one best screenplay and and all of that Um, And it's also just brilliant, right? Mm -hmm. But that has always been the case. The genre has always been a way to explore real life and real life social issues or real life anxieties or fears. And people are starting to open up to that more and realize that more now. And but when I talk about it in that way, people are still surprised. Like it's something new I'm bringing to the genre when really that's why I've always loved the genre because I felt seen by certain aspects of it um and to the point that i wanted to bring up earlier so i had a i have a short that just premiered on alters platform called the gaze and one of the comments by a guy was horror films by women are never scary but always deeper and more interesting to me and i initially was like fuck you like in my head but but then i was like you know what it makes sense that he feels that way because 
the the fears that women are exploring are very real fears Mm -hmm. they're not monsters in your closet they are men murdering you on the street because that happens if you like we don't need to invent monsters the monsters are all around us exactly and if you had the experience of walking down a street at night by yourself and and having to fear what we fear because it's a very real reality on a daily basis around the world and in our own backyard um you would find that scene scary too, you know? Mm-hmm. But you don't because it's not an experience that resonates with you. And and so I and I think it's similar in like how w- people say women aren't funny, which drives me crazy, you know, and I think that's changing too. But and it's always, you know, I think it's often coming from like incel assholes, but also if you were trying to like find the truth in that statement, the things that we find funny sometimes are so specific to our experience and it's like this is not supposed to make you laugh because Mm -hmm. you don't know what it's like to like get your period out of the blue and like Mm -hmm. be in a meeting and like whatever you know like whatever the setup is sometimes it's so specific to like women or just people who have vaginas and get their periods but like that that I think is something that I often think about when I get critiques that are rooted in that person's identity and that person's experience and I've gotten like I've gained more confidence in just saying well it's not for you and it wasn't intended to get that reaction out of you so I can let that roll off and like not take that internally at all. Yeah, I think some of managing imposter syndrome is just a matter of practice. Mm -hmm. Because, like, the first time you make something, every critique just cuts so deep. And it doesn't mean that critique will never stop cutting. But, you know, if you bolster yourself and you get better and you know what you want out of something, you've defined your own success and you're really genuinely proud of something, then, like, that's all that matters. And it takes a while to get to that point. And that's frustrating if you're starting out and you're feeling a lot of imposter syndrome to say like wait it out it'll be better but like things take time human lives are very long in some ways and like you know there's no like if I had been if I'd broken in five years ago with brains like I would not be in a good place to be popular and to be broken in Mm -hmm. like I don't think I was mature enough five years Mm -hmm. ago I don't think I was mature enough two years ago in a lot of ways and that's that's frustrating because I am also an extremely impatient person and I just want to like Same. have made it. Mm-hmm. Why haven't I made it? Oh, it must be because I'm terrible. <laughs> and right. like having to separate those two because like there's just there's genuinely no way that you can plan for any of this. Yeah. You can just do your part and keep making work that you care about and that you think is good and worthy of being told and reminding yourself like I'm not making something that I think is bad. You wouldn't put this much work into something if you genuinely at your core thought that it was bad and worthless. So stop letting your brain trick you. Because at some point your brain agreed with you that this is a thing you should be working on and that you should be the one to do it. And that these people that you've surrounded yourself with should be the ones to do it with you. So remind yourself of those things during the darkest times. And sometimes that'll help set you back on the right path. Absolutely. Anything else? I guess I, I want to touch on performative humility for a second because sure. I think it's very important as a aspect. Because I think that at a certain point when you outgrow some of the like 
baser imposter syndrome things, then you start to feel nervous that if you are confident, then you will be seen as an asshole. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're either whiny because you have imposter syndrome or you're an asshole because you're too confident. And so like people in the little middle area will sometimes sort of perform humility and be like, oh, I don't actually deserve this. Oh, tell somebody else. And I think to a certain extent, a lot of humility is performative especially from artists. And I find that extremely frustrating. And I also think that it can backfire because if you're like, oh, I'm not that special over and over and over again. Well, now you're training people to say like, oh yeah, you're nothing special. Yeah. Or if you're like, oh, my film is, it's fine. Like people, when like they're sharing a new thing and they like apologize a lot or like, I'm sorry for showing this to you, but Mm -hmm. like, I guess I really wanted you to see it. Like all of the extra words that you add uh, before watch my film, mm-hmm. like set the tone for how people engage with it. And the more you like cage it in like, I know I'm wasting your time, but I promise it'll only take two minutes. Hey, if you just watch my pitch video for my graduate campaign, I promise to leave you alone. Like all of that garbage just distances people from the work. That's right. Yeah. If you believe in the work, if you made it, just show it to people. Shut up. Stop talking mm-hmm. <laughs> in front of it. Yeah. I mean, that's when you think about when you, when someone reaches out to you to watch something, would you be more inclined <laughs> to actually be excited and to want to check it out if they're they're you know putting it in this package of insecurity? <laughs> Let's just yeah. like, you know, it's it's not that great. Or I'm sorry. Yeah, like the apologizing thing is definitely something I had to get out of in terms Me of sure. a habit. Like is just. It, just reaching out, you know, and just embracing that. Fine, some people are going to be annoyed and that's that. But I don't need to like assume that everyone is and that mm-hmm. that's how I reach out to them because I'm going to be turning people away when in fact they might be excited to hear from me. Yeah, it's like dress for the job you want. Write the email for the relationship you want. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and don't yeah, like you said, don't assume that people are mad at you. Apologize later if you need to. Right. Don't start by apologizing. Right. And even, you know, like, if you look at my social media, I shared my nomination for Best Director with a little bit of, like, this was a surprise because it's six out of a hundred, but I wasn't like, I don't deserve this, and Mm -hmm. I'm like, all the things that I was feeling maybe insecure about, I didn't put into how I put it out there for people. I tried to put it out with pride um, and, and gratitude, and... And understand that that will get other people excited about it too, eventually watching it. Because that's what I want. I want people to watch it. I want people to engage with it. I want people to, you know, hopefully enjoy it or get something out of it, right? Yeah. Um, And the whole, like, cycle of, like, people reaching out like, oh, no, you should be proud. Like, that's exhausting. mm -hmm, It's exhausting for them. It's exhausting for you. And so at the point at which you are where you, like, don't actually really need the validation, like, you know that you're hot shit or, you know, you know you deserve whatever the thing is that you've gotten, like, the performative humility just – it's so exhausting and nobody wants to be a part of it. And it makes every interaction with you worse. Yeah. And, like, I know that there are people out there with, like, particular mental health diagnoses where, you know, imposter syndrome is not just a concept that you can muscle through. It's Mm -hmm. a different thing. And, like, that's not who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the people who know, like, have a base level of confidence and are worried that if they are seen with confidence that, like, they will lose all credibility. Because you won't. I promise you, you won't. And the people that you do lose credibility from for just being confident in the stuff that you make are not worth your time. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that a lot of 
more like ethereal advice that people give around filmmaking. Like a lot of the questions people ask is always like, how do I get like this kind of person to respect me? Or how do I get this kind of person to like not give me notes on my writing because they just don't get it. And like there is a certain extent to which you have to accept some people aren't going to get it. Some people aren't, you're not going to impress some people. You're just, you're not going to make everyone happy. So define for yourself who it matters to impress, like whose respect you actually want. Mm -hmm. And you just have to let go of everyone else. Yeah. And also, I think um, in terms of wanting to put, if you're trying to convey balance, which I think a lot of people are trying to do with, with posts like that, uh, something I try to do is show that rejection is just mm-hmm. as more, really more like really more <laughs> of my life than acceptances or wins or awards um but I, so it's kind of like i know that i'm i'm mostly trying to get film fans and people who watch stuff to watch my stuff so that's largely who i'm talking to but i know that a, a lot of my circle is just other creators who are just like struggling and trying to find their voice and find their footing and and they look at me maybe as someone who's like got a lot of wins who's like getting into a lot of festivals getting nominated for things i like to show that yes all of that is true and on the other side of that i've gotten twice as many rejections and so like you don't have to share your wins with with like a disclaimer Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also share the other side of it and be like, okay, this film, like when I released The Gaze, I was like, we had 10 festival screenings, blah, blah, blah. I'm really proud. It's out here now. Also, we got into, I think it was like 30% of the festivals we submitted to. And when I released my feature, I actually did a full list of here are the ones we screened at and here are all the ones that rejected us <laughs> like that. And so I like to kind of provide that. So it's not just like win, win, win. And that because I'm not showing humility in those posts, you just assume that I think I'm like the best, which is also probably like my imposter syndrome making me feel the need to do this. But when I watch other filmmakers who feel like, who seem like they just have an in and they just keep getting in, Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's more to that story and I would love to see like their actual hustle you know and so I try to show that as much as possible for anyone who's like not at my level yet because I crave that from filmmakers whose level I'm not at yet uh, yeah I yeah. 100% agree I and like I think also you and I are coming at this perspective from like an educator's perspective because mm-hmm. so much of like our day job style work is teaching people Um, And I think also both of us are people who want to be like mentor figures. We want to be transparent Mm -hmm. so that like and and accessible. Yeah. That's why we talk about our email and our our social media at the top of every episode. Like if you're want to get in touch, even if you don't want us to talk about what you're getting in touch about on the podcast, like reach out. That's what we're in this for, because I think I speak for both of us when I say we both wish we'd had that, you know, and to various extents, I'm sure we had like micro examples of this throughout our careers but like everyone wants somebody from a little bit above them to say like you're doing all right yeah this is working keep going like even people at the same level even from people below like we just we want people to be honest with ourselves we want people to be honest with us and we want to feel safe being honest back yep so cultivate a community around yourself where that is a place you can do that and to hell with everyone else that's right 
That's what I want to end on. <laughs> great. Great. So let's just dive into the outro. Thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music and Kaylee Brown for our podcast art and to all of you for listening. You can find more about Kelsey at KelseyRauber.com and more about Kaylee at KayleeChristina.com. Links, as always, in our episode description. And don't forget to subscribe so you get notified of all of our new episodes dropping every other Thursday. Except in October when they will be weekly every Thursday. And rate us five stars if you haven't already. Next episode, we will be covering representation, diversity, and inclusion with guest Danny Thomas. So be sure to tune in. 